Every time a bell rings, an angel gets his wings. Lorna, could you grab those two chairs and just put them up the back? Because I think I need a couple more chairs at the back. This is a quote from the classic Christmas movie, It's a Wonderful Life. In this movie, Clarence is a man who died many years ago, but still is only an angel second class. So in order to get his wings, he's sent on a mission to help a guy called George Bailey see the value of his life by giving him a glimpse of what the world would be like if he hadn't ever lived. Now, don't get me wrong, it's a great movie. I think so anyway. I made our girls sit through it uh, last year at Christmas. A black and white movie. Isn't that terrible? It's so old. Uh, And I don't think you could ever watch that movie without shedding a tear or two. But it is only a movie, isn't it? It is fiction. Nobody really believes that this actually happens. Do they? Well, it seems that, as Claire said, some people do. In order to cope with grief and loss, they believe that if a family member dies, they're now an angel in heaven. And they can communicate and comfort them. And this is just one of a myriad of beliefs around this whole issue about angels. Many people trust in their guardian angels. Listen to what BeliefNet says about this. They say, guardian angels work exclusively for you. Their entire existence is dedicated to helping you navigate and make the most of this earthly journey. Go to guardian angels with your most intimate prayers, the wishes closest to your heart. No one knows you better than your guardian angel. And it seems like a lot of people believe that sort of thing. Over in the UK there was a survey done and about 30 to 40% of people in the UK believe that they have guardian angels. Even 20% of people who never ever attend a church, never attend any religious gathering. And some people think that their angels are sending them messages. So people attend angel card readings. In the hope of getting guidance and help to make good decisions. And others, they look for feathers. Because they believe that they are signs that have been left by their angels. And the different colours of feathers have different meanings to them. There are even some churches that claim that feathers, angel feathers, fall down from the ceiling. To show that angels are there during the service. Or that they claim to get prophetic messages from their angels. So what should we think about all of this? Do we need to think of angels in order to find comfort in our time of grief? Do we need to turn to angels to find guidance and direction? Do we need to trust in angels for protection and deliverance? Do we need to look for signs from them to know that we are loved and valued? Well, Hebrews chapter 1 gives us an answer. It says that yes, angels are really important and powerful servants of God. 
Jesus. He's better. So when you read from Hebrews chapter 1, verse 5 to verse 14, and Roxana's going to come up and she's going to read for us uh, this morning. Thanks, Roxana. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have become your father. Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says that all God's angels worship him. In speaking of the angels, he says, he makes his angels spirits and his servants flames of fire. But about the son, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. He also says, In the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, for you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you remain the same, and your tears will never end. To which of the angels did God ever say, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? Thank you very much, Roxana, for doing a reading this morning. If you remember from last time, this letter was written to Jewish believers who felt like giving up. As a result of increasing persecution, they were tempted to turn their back, turn back, sorry, to the Judaism that they'd come from. Back to the temple, back to the priesthood, back to the sacrifices that they had left. They thought that it would make their lives easier and less costly. And it seems that one of the ways that they were kind of rationalizing this option was by minimizing the role and person of Jesus. They didn't want to reject him or his ministry completely. But rather they just wanted to see him as less than God. Maybe like one of the angels that God had sent in the past into the nation of Israel. Now, Many of you might know that the Jehovah Witness organizations, they say something very similar. They claim that Jesus was the Archangel Michael who had been promoted to the highest position among God's created beings. But as we were introduced to last time, the author of Hebrews, he knows that Jesus was much better, is much better than the angels. After laying down his life on the cross, He was raised and exalted, so he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. And in this section, which we just read, the author proved this by pointing to a number of Old Testament scriptures. That show that Jesus is superior to the angels. Old Testament scriptures that would have been very familiar 
very familiar to these believers, these initial readers, because of course they'd grown up with the Old Testament. So what is these what do these Old Testament scriptures tell us? What do they teach us? Well, first of all, they tell us that Jesus has a unique relationship with the Father. The author asked, for to which of the angels did God ever say? Now, that's not a request for information. He's not actually asking us, which angel did God ever say? This is a rhetorical question. He's actually declaring that God never said any of these things to any angels. But he did say this to his son. So what did God uniquely say to Jesus? Well, first of all, verse 5. You are my son. Today, I have become your father. This is a quotation from Psalm 2. And that Psalm talks about how the nations and the rulers have rebelled against God and against his anointed one. The one that God chose to reign as king. So Psalm 2 verse 2 says, The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord. And against his anointed one. But with confidence, this psalm declares that God is not worried about this rebellion. He's not afraid that his rule will be overwhelmed, overtaken. That's because God says, I have installed my king on Zion. My holy hell. He knows that nobody can stand against his powerful, his awesome king. And that's the context of that psalm in which God said, in verse 7 of that psalm, You are my son, today I have become your father. The author of Hebrews understands this is ultimately pointing forward to Jesus. The Messiah. God's ultimate anointed one. So it wasn't talking about Jesus becoming the Son of God. As if he didn't exist before. Or as if he didn't have that relationship with his father before. Rather, it's talking about how Jesus was raised and exalted to the royal position of being the king of this universe. And by doing that, the father vindicated his son. And he revealed the unique relationship he has as God's appointed king. So Paul said in Romans chapter 1 that Jesus was declared with power to be the Son of God by his resurrection from the dead. This is the declaration of Jesus as King. And this was the fulfillment of God's promise to David. If you were with us a few months ago, you might remember this when we were looking at the life of David. David, he wanted to build a temple, a house for God. 
But God instead said, no, but I'll build a house for you. A dynasty for you. And he said this in 2 Samuel chapter 7. I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, who will come from your own body, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. Now that promise, as we saw a few months ago, was initially and partially fulfilled by Solomon, the second son of David and Bathsheba. But Hebrews 1 makes it really clear that the ultimate fulfillment of this is Jesus. Jesus is not just the ultimate son of David. Jesus is the son of God. The one who is a unique relationship with his father and through him he will build God's house, a community of God's people. And that's, of course, the promise that was given to Mary through the angel Gabriel. The the angel said to Mary, He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. So the father did not say this to any angel. He did not enthrone any angel as the king of the universe. He did not establish any angel as the fulfillment of the promise given to David. That unique role and that unique relationship with the Father belongs to Jesus. Jesus is better than any angel. That's made really clear in the next pair of scriptures. The second of those quotations in verse 7 is from Psalm 104, which says, He makes his angels winds, his servants flames of fire. Angels are not human beings who have died and then work to get their wings. Instead, they are powerful, heavenly beings. They are described here as wind, which can also be translated as spirit. They are spiritual beings. And they are part of this created world that was made by Jesus. Last week, Sam, who was here preaching, he he was speaking from Colossians chapter 1. Verse 16 says this about Jesus. By him, all things were created. In heaven and on earth. Visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. So angels are spirits that have been created by Jesus. And their purpose is to serve him. But not only do they serve God, they also serve God's people. Look at verse 14. 
are not all angels. Ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation. The scriptures describe how angels have played crucial roles in the God's purpose and plan in this world. So, for example, they've delivered important messages at crucial times in history. Like when uh, they visited Mary to tell her about the son that she would miraculously conceive. Or that they stood guard at the tomb, the empty tomb, to announce to the woman who arrived about Jesus' resurrection. They've also supported and encouraged God's people. Like when an angel cared for Elijah when he ran from Jezebel. Or when an angel appeared to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane to strengthen him. And they're also served, they also serve to protect and fight for God's people. Like when they surrounded Elisha to protect him from the army of the Arameans. Or when an angel released Peter when he was imprisoned by Herod. So the author of Hebrews is not trying to discount their existence or their vital role in this world. The Bible is really clear that angels work to fulfill God's will in this world. But here's the point. As powerful and significant as angels are, the Son, Jesus, He is better by far. In fact, He is so superior to them that He is worthy of their worship. Look at verse 6. When God brings His firstborn into the world, He says, let all God's angels worship Him. Here again, in Hebrews chapter 1, is another powerful declaration of the deity of Jesus. Only God is worthy of worship. Do you remember in Revelation chapter 22, when the Apostle John, he'd seen and heard all that the angel had revealed to him about the future? He was just so overwhelmed by that vision that he fell down uh, to worship at the feet of the angel. But immediately the angel stopped him. This is what he said. He said to John, do not do it. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers the prophets and of all who keep the words of this book. Worship God. Worship God. That's the message of the angels. Worship God and God alone. But these angels who refuse to allow worship for anyone else apart from God, they worship Christ. And the only conclusion from that is that Jesus is fully man and fully God. He's worthy of our worship this morning. 
He's worthy of our giving our everything, everything that we are and everything that we have and bowing before Him and declaring like Thomas did when he saw the risen Christ, my Lord and my God. And that explains why Jesus here is called the firstborn. Sam shared with us this uh, last week that this is not because, excuse me, this was not because Jesus was born first. He's the eternal Son of God. He has always been. But rather, firstborn is a title of rank and honour. The firstborn is the one who receives who, the, the inheritance and the special blessing. So Jesus is described as the firstborn over all creation. Which emphasizes how he was there before creation and is sovereign over it. He's the firstborn among many brothers as the head of the church which he died to save. And he's the firstborn from the dead. He's the one who rose again and who gives life to all who trust Him. And so Jesus deserves that place of preeminence in this world. Jesus deserves to be first. And He is worthy of all our worship. And He will enjoy that place of preeminence forever. That's what the next couple of quotations emphasize. First of all, Psalm 45 said about the Son, Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. Again, another clear declaration of the deity of Christ. Your throne, O God. Jesus is fully God. And he reigns over this universe. And he will reign forever. Every other powerful ruler eventually is replaced. They are defeated. Or they are deposed. Or they die. Their kingdoms crumble. And their empires come to an end. But not Jesus. He's been exalted to the highest place. And he will reign forever. His reign will even outlast this universe. The next quotation from Psalm 102 again declares the deity of Christ because he names him as his creator, as our creator. Verse 10, in the beginning, O Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth and and the heavens are the work of your hands. But Jesus didn't only make this world. He will also end it one day. You will roll them up like a robe. Like a garment they will be changed. This world, everything that we see around us, It's not eternal. 
One day, Jesus will call time. And on that day of judgment, the present heavens and earth will be destroyed by fire to make way for a new heaven and a new earth. One that's been untouched by sin and evil and death. But although this world will perish, Jesus never will. Even although so much will change, He will remain. But you remain the same. And your years will never end. And that's such good news. Because righteousness will be the scepter of your kingdom. We fear when somebody comes into power. Especially when they get absolute power. Because we know that power corrupts. Power perverts everybody's sense of right and wrong. But not Jesus. Because he loves righteousness. And he hates wickedness. Therefore, we can rejoice that he is in charge. Because we can trust Him that He will always do what is right. Every decision He makes is right. We can trust Jesus to rule in our lives. But not only will He reign in righteousness, if we trust in Him, He will also clothe us in righteousness. This is what he made possible on the cross. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the unshaking foundation, the solid foundation that we have in our lives. In the difficult times, when evil men and women succeed, when everything else is falling apart, we can rest on this unshakable truth. Jesus is reigning now, and he's going to reign forever. He will not change. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Now, of course, we don't see that reality in this world today. We're still suffering in a world where evil is thriving. Whether we think of the evil in the wider world, in the international affairs, or whether we think of the evil of, of what happens in our own country, in our own communities, or whether we even think of the evil that that sometimes happens in our own life and the things that we do wrong. But the final quotation declares that this is going to change. Look at verse 13. To which of the angels did God ever say, sit at my right hand until I make 
your enemies. A footstool for your feet. As we saw last, last time, when Jesus ascended into heaven, he was given this unique place of glory and honour. Sitting at the, the right hand of the throne of God, higher than any role, any position that an angel would ever have. And this is also an amazing encouragement for Christians who are suffering under the attack of God's enemies today. Jesus has been enthroned. He is reigning now. He is waiting for that day that is coming when his enemies will be brought under his feet. That final, that ultimate victory belongs to Jesus. And so those of us who will, who have trusted in Jesus, whether it's been many, many years ago or whether it's just today, we will share in that victory. In the end, Christ will be glorified. And every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So folks, angels are amazing. They are powerful beings created by God to worship and to serve Him. But they are nothing compared to Jesus. He is better than them all. So why would we want to turn to a guardian angel or to anybody else? Our Saviour, our Lord, our Shepherd, our Friend, is none other than the Son of God. He is the one who has a unique relationship with the Father. He is the one who is worthy of receiving worship even from the angels. He is the one who will reign as King over the universe forever. And even now, He is sitting at the right hand of God, waiting for the day of ultimate victory, which He won on the cross when it will be finally and fully revealed. So when we are struggling, when we feel like we can't go on, when we are suffering, when we are overwhelmed, when we are burdened with all of the cares of this life, let's fix our eyes on Jesus. Let's turn to Him to provide everything that we need. Let's trust in Him to protect us and to bring us safely home. Let's depend on Him and His unfailing love and His unending grace.